Hello, and welcome to the Hoover Institution's Strategica podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, bringing you content from Strategica, Hoover's online journal of national security and military history, which you can find at hoover.org. And in the most recent issue, we're tackling the question, what do the jihadists want? And here to discuss that today is one of the authors of those pieces, Peter Mansour, retired U.S. Army colonel and the General Raymond E. Mason, Jr. Chair of Military History at Ohio State University. Peter, thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for having me on. Now, you start in the piece that you've written for Strategica by looking at the situation in Iraq in the summer of 2006. Tell me what was happening there at that time and how that informs answering this question about what the jihadists want. Well, as we all know, in 2006, Iraq was coming apart at the seams. Uh, it, was, it had entered a civil war, uh, largely based on uh, sectarian differences between uh, Arab Sunnis and Arab Shiites. Uh, and uh, al-Qaeda in Iraq, one of the uh, terrorist groups uh, involved in that conflict, had carved out for itself uh, several safe havens, the most extensive of which was in Al-Anbar province in the western portion of the country. And I think uh, this case study is is important uh, in understanding what the jihadists want, because this is one of the few times where al-Qaeda actually took and hold, held ground. And so uh, by the uh, admission of uh, one of the senior U.S. intelligence officers in the area, al-Qaeda pretty much controlled al-Anbar outside of uh, maybe portions of a few of the major cities. And had instituted its uh, very virulent brand of, uh, of Islam and uh, Islamic governance uh, in it. And we can see then exactly what al-Qaeda wants by what al-Qaeda got um, in, uh, in 2006 in Al-Anbar, and really what they offered the people was a trip back to the Dark Ages. And you say in your piece when you're describing this vision that they had – uh, and I'm quoting here, the end result would be the creation of a new Islamic caliphate that would rival the power of the West and restore the glory of Islam. This is how they conceive of it. So uh, describe for me, tease that out a little bit. What would the what would this caliphate look like, both in terms of just practical geopolitical considerations, what parts of the world are we talking about, and what would sort of the experience look like? What would day-to-day life be in this kind of existence? Well, it's a caliphate based on fear. Uh, they had the people uh, cowed um, through a number of measures uh, based on their vision of Islam. Um, you know, they, they would cut off the fingers of people who smoked. They would force uh, sheikhs to offer their wives and daughters in marriage to cement tribal bonds. Um, the, uh, they would kill people uh, for the slightest of offenses, uh, not growing a beard long enough, uh, drinking alcohol, uh, women not properly covered. And, uh, and then uh, through these measures, uh, they had the people afraid literally to uh, leave their homes and walk out on the streets. Uh, this was the kind of uh, society that, uh, that they sought. And uh, in the larger sense, what they wanted was a caliphate stretching from uh, Afghanistan, maybe even Pakistan, all the way over uh, to Morocco and from uh, Turkey down to uh, Sub-Sahel Africa uh, to create an Islamic superpower 
that could compete with the West, uh, and uh, and in which the Islamists would would hold total total sway. Um, you know what what we offered instead, and what um, we tried to institute in Iraq, is uh, some sort of representative form of government where the people had a say in uh, in who were their leaders. Now the reason the Islamists didn't want that is they knew that in free and fair elections, the people would reject them, uh, which was clearly the case during the surge in Iraq in 2007-2008, when the bulk of the Sunni people uh, rejected al-Qaeda and its vision and uh, sided with U.S. forces to, uh, to defeat them. And you point out in your piece that this vision of a caliphate has something of a restorative quality to it. It's hearkening back in their minds, to the, to the golden age of Islam. But you point out, uh, you say in the piece, quote, Al-Qaeda's vision was appealing to a certain segment of the Islamic world, but it was fundamentally ahistorical. There is something different about this movement than uh, the Islam that existed during this age that it's hearkening back to. What is that distinction? Yeah, so the Islamists uh, are trying to explain uh, to the Islamic world why Islam and the Islamic people have fallen so far behind the West um, since uh, since the golden age of Islam, when the Islamic civilization was uh, one of the most uh, powerful on the planet. And their answer is that the Islamic people, the Ummah, have not been faithful enough to the basic tenets of the religion, and that only if they would uh, become better, better Muslims uh, in the vision that Al-Qaeda purports to represent uh, as uh, as true Islam, then then the Islamic people could once again gain the prominence that they enjoyed. But what I point out in the piece is that, in fact, Islamists, uh, the radical Islamists today, don't understand what made Islam great uh, back in the Golden Age. And it was really a focus on secular education, great advances in astronomy, mathematics, sciences, uh, medicine. Um, and uh, if you look at uh, the educational program of the madrasas that are beholden to, to al-Qaeda and radical Islam today, that's not what they teach. They teach primarily Islamic studies. Uh, and so I think that uh, the Islamists want a return to a golden age that they, they fundamentally misunderstand. And when we look at situations like what happened in Iraq, now we've got Syria where there's a possibility that eventually you could have another instance of jihadists obtaining real political power. I mean you, you saw, as you described, how it fell apart in Iraq. Um, would it be your contention that it is inherent to the nature of this jihadism, that it is going to fall apart when it gets real political power because it's going to alienate so many people? Or can, or can you conceive of a way in which they could um, – find a way while still being loyal to their first principles to become politically effective? Or is it just an inherently flawed from the get-go as, as a political mechanism? I believe that it's inherently flawed uh, from the beginning as a political program. Once the people find out exactly what the radical Islamists have to offer in the form of governments, they'll reject it. But that's if they're given a choice. So if the Islamists right. uh, become as brutal as, as, say, the North Korean regime and, uh, 
and have total control over a society and a state, they could remain in power as the North Koreans have remained in power uh, in that uh, sorry land, um, but at the expense of any type of progress whatsoever uh, in economics and uh, in education and in any sort of aspect of, uh, of the kind of life that people actually want to live. So final question, uh, keeping that in mind, looking both backwards over the progress that's been made over the past dozen years or so, looking forward to the future of, of combating terrorism, when you consider these fundamental aspects of Islamist ideology, does it make you uh, more optimistic or more pessimistic about our ability to combat it going forward? It makes me more optimistic because I think in the long run – uh, it's going to be the the failure of the radical Islamists to show um, a viable intellectual foundation behind their program that will uh, make the Islamic world reject them, uh, as they have, as Muslims have every time the jihadists have gained any kind of uh, power. Um, so I think in the long run, uh, the Muslims uh, around the world will, will reject this sort of... Uh, uh, fundamentalist vision for the future of their religion, but it could take uh, decades, if not centuries, to play out as, uh, as Islam forms uh, from within. All right, Peter Mansour, thank you for joining us. And to our listeners, a reminder that you can find content from Strategica at hoover.org. That's where you can find Peter's piece, in addition to a piece by Joseph Jaffe and a historical backgrounder by Max Boot on this topic. Just go to strategica at hoover.org. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution. Thank you for listening.